Lucy. Some exciting music coming on from the kids' work, which is fun. Great that the kids are worshipping whilst we are. Um, okay, so I'm going to read the whole of chapter 9. It is quite long. Bear with me. Okay. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his, disciple asked, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbours and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but it is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how are your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who... How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight, until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight, and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So, for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, he answered them, I have, already, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshipper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it... 
Has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a, man, of a man born blind? If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Great, thank you, Chloe. Big passage. Um, uh, wonderful. So, uh, the reason for reading the whole thing, I hope, you see, it's, it's an interesting chapter. The whole chapter is dedicated to this one episode, this one story of a blind guy um, who, who receives his sight. Uh, but it, the whole miracle ends at kind of verse 6 and then but it's actually 41 verses long this whole episode and so something happens that kind of extends the story uh, way beyond what would be normal of a usual uh, healing so we're going to explore that this morning and uh, what I want to talk about um, is um, it's really encouraging for me that our time of worship this morning uh, kind of went in exactly the same direction and trajectory that this sermon is. Quite clearly, um, God speaking to us this morning about how when we see Jesus, it motivates us and, and, and emboldens us and causes us to step out in faith. And, uh, and also that actually being, uh, being a Christian starts with having our, our eyes open to see Jesus for who he is. That is what it, it means to become a Christian. Uh, and that's exactly what this story is about. Uh, last, was it last week? Last time Josh spoke, he talked about, um, from John chapter 8, that Jesus is the light of the world. And uh, Verity prayed that out and also brought this uh, scripture from Corinthians, which again talks about light. This is a common theme in John, the idea of, uh, of light and darkness of uh, sight and blindness, they're opposites that John uses uh, all throughout the text. Um, and he uses them in like a spiritual, more kind of um, like abstract way. It's like an idea. But here, right here in this chapter is the practical, the, the, the kind of outworking of that. So it's no longer a sort of an idea of light and darkness. No, there's a blind guy and now he can see. So this is uh, Jesus saying, I'm the light of the world. Look, I open up eyes. I, I create sight. Um, and that's what's happening here in this chapter. So there's a, a physical healing, but just how it's like a spiritual reality of sight being brought, uh, of light, a spiritual reality of light being made shown. It's this physical reality of the healing is, is a spiritual reality metaphor too and so hopefully we'll see um, that Jesus doesn't just open up his physical eyes but also spiritually this man is, is awakened to know who Jesus is um, it's, 
it's interesting to me, there's so many parallels, there's so many things that we've read already in John uh, that kind of come back up. John just keeps weaving these threads throughout. Light is one of them. Another one is this idea that Jesus came to his own right back in the the prologue to John, John chapter one, this poetic, uh, in the beginning was the word and the word was, the, was with God and was God. That prologue, um, it says that he came to his own, but his own knew him not. Again, we'll see that that happens in reality here. He comes to these Pharisees. These are the guys that should know the Bible really well, and they just can't see Jesus for who he is. There's a spiritual blindness that's upon them. Uh, but uh, first, I'm going to just pray for us, and then we're going to look in at the passage. So, um, Lord God, we pray this morning, as we've sang in worship, would you open our eyes to see you clearly this morning? Would you uh, open up our hearts that we would uh, know more of you and that it would motivate us, that it would change us? Lord, we thank you that as we look to you, it puts everything else in the right context. As we look at you, we see that the world around us um, fits more clearly as we see you and your glory, your wonder, your works, the works of your hand, your glory is displayed. I pray would you help us this morning to hear from you and to see you more clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Great. So right at the beginning of this chapter, oh yeah, I have slides, um, we see uh, oh yeah, the purpose of the book in John. <laughs> Just a good reminder for us, the whole reason John wrote this book is, uh, he says this, Now Jesus did many of the signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these ones that are written are so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John is, is purposefully putting in uh, and telling the things that are, are revealing the truth about who Jesus is. And so that's why it's no coincidence that here we get this chapter, this narrative, this story about the blind man being healed right after Jesus saying, I'm the light of the world. And it also leads us into chapter 10 where Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. Because we'll see that Jesus is singling out this blind, this, this is one of his sheep and he's after him. And he's going to bring him into the fold. And we see that this guy loses a lot. But he actually gains much, much more. So he gains Jesus. Uh, but before that, uh, let's look at verses uh, 1 to 3. It says at the beginning, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed. Right at the outset, we get a, so it's a really interesting start to the story. Um, it's also, it's the kind of the first main dialogue that the, the disciples have said. It's the first kind of they've not crept into the story very much up until now. They were there at the very beginning, and then they sort of, it was all about Jesus, and now they come back in with this question uh, that seems on the surface to be a bit weird. Um, they're looking at this blind guy, and they're thinking, what's caused this blindness? Why is he blind? Is it his sin? Is it the mistakes he's made? Which seems very strange, because he was born blind. Uh, or is it the, the mistakes of his parents? 
there were uh, a few different philosophies and ideas that were floating around the ancient uh, world. Uh, one of them was that you... Um, it was a Greek and Roman idea, but the commentators say it kind of crept into Jewish superstition, was that you could... Uh, the, the soul was eternal and bounced between different bodies, a bit like reincarnation. And so if you lived a really bad life, then in the next life you might be born with some sort of disease or, or uh, like a missing limb or blindness. That was one theory. Uh, so maybe they're saying, is this the reason? Um, one uh, other belief was that you could somehow sin whilst you were in the womb. Um, and then also with the parents, like there was this idea that parents' sin could have... Um, led to it. In fact, the Pharisees say this, don't they? They say at the very end, when um, the guy's spoken up, they say, you were born in utter sin. There, it's clearly a view that, that was had there. Um, Jesus just cuts straight through that. No, that's not it. You, the question's completely wrong. It's not about causes. Don't think in terms of causes. It's about uh, purpose. Um, you see, it's, when we look at this uh, dialogue, this questions, the questions that the disciples think, we think we wouldn't do that today. But actually, I think there is a way that we can do this as Christians today. Um, I was thinking about a time in my life um, where kind of everything fell out from underneath me all in the space of a week. Uh, I was uh, living in a new city. I had finished university. I was in my kind of early 20s. I'd moved to a city and uh, in the space of a week, uh, I lost uh, the, the girl who I really liked, who I thought, you know, I pinned my hopes uh, on, this, on this girl uh, and thought, you know, I think they could go somewhere with this. She's, um, she said, oh, I'm dating this guy. I was like, oh. then I lost my job. Uh, and then I actually had to leave the city and move back home all in the space of a week. And it felt going home, um, I, I was empty. I felt completely like a failure. I'd moved out and moved to a city, started a new life, and I was back home with my parents. Uh, nothing to show for my time away. Uh, and uh, more than that, I, I felt like, what have I done to deserve this? What must I have done that got me to this position, to this place? I, I questioned God. I questioned his plan for my life. You know, but I was part of a church over there. I was part of a new church. It's like, what? You know, I was grappling with this. Um, and uh, what happened for me is that I definitely started to feel inadequate. I started to feel like I, I was the problem. Perhaps I wasn't even saved. Um, because surely, like, God doesn't... I must have done something here. Um, we can think that way. We can also... Uh, when things happen to us and we look through the lens of the causes, when we look at, you know, we, we focus on its cause, some of the things that can happen is we let bitterness come in. Bitterness to God, bitterness to people around us. Unforgiveness is a big one. People wrong us in this life. And if we keep looking back to this being the cause of where I'm at now, this person caused this and now I'm here, we harbour unforgiveness. And it robs us of joy. I, in that time, really struggled to connect with God. I really struggled to believe um, just simple truths about that God loved me. 
that I was, you know. Um, and so when we think about it in that sense, we, we can be uh, in the same place, uh, thinking causally, we can uh, be robbed of joy, uh, it stops us from uh, trusting in God, trusting in what he can do in our life. We no longer can see that because we feel let down. We feel like this hasn't worked. But Jesus comes and says, no, it's not about causes. It's about purpose. And uh, it's worked. There you are. I've been raising my PowerPoint game, friends. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's the wrong questions to be asking. Jesus says, um, it's not... It's not that this man sinned or his parents. It's that the works of God might be displayed in him. I look back now on that time and can see exactly what God was doing in my heart. The lessons he was teaching me, painful though they were, I I just wouldn't be the person I am now in any way, shape or form, had God not brought me through what was a dark time in my life. But uh, more than that, in Liverpool, when I I went back home, I looked after my granddad for two years. The last two years before he died, I I was his carer. I got to know an incredible man, um, and I wouldn't change that experience for the world. And I started working at a little church uh, for the food bank where I went to a prayer meeting, and I met this crazy guy called Josh, who was moving to Sweden with his wife to start a church. You can see the chain of events that took place where God has brought me now to this point and I wouldn't change a thing now that I can see God's purpose. We look back with 2020 vision in hindsight, but at the time, in that moment, I, I, I lived it. I was in moments of despair. And my encouragement to us this morning is to take Jesus' words and, and think, you know, what purpose is there? What, what purpose could God have? Um, can I give an encouragement um, to us? As Christians, uh, when we're in a dark time in our life, we can say with hope, uh, we can say this promise with hope, Romans eight twenty eight. For I know that all things work to good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. All things work to good. We might not see what that good is right now, but all things work to good, it says in Romans 8, 28. Friends, we've got to hold on to that hope here this morning. If you're going through difficulties, that's my encouragement to you this morning. We will see that that's exactly what happens for this guy. He's been born blind, and Jesus says there's a plan, there's a purpose. There's a purpose that, that God's works will be revealed in this guy's life through this man's blindness. I'm going to reveal something, Jesus says. It's, it is him who's going to reveal it because he goes on to heal this guy. Um, and then in verse 6, he's healed. And that's not the end of the story. So the healing isn't the only purpose that we have here. Uh, so why does the story go on uh, much longer than that? Well, it's the manner of Jesus' healing. It's the way that Jesus heals uh, that causes a controversy Uh, It's here in in verse 6 we read, Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam. In verse 16, uh, we read that the Pharisees, what their problem is. They say, um, some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. 
But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? There is division among them. So what's going on here and what's the deal with the mud? Legitimate questions. It's a bit weird, strange idea that Jesus makes this mud and puts it on his eyes. Um, It's not the healing that's the problem for the Pharisees. It is actually the mud that is the problem. Um, But there's a few reasons why Jesus might have done the mud making in the first place. Uh, and it's probably worth telling you uh, to one of them, I think, is, is, really, uh, is really interesting, uh, is that, uh, again, another sort of theme, thread, that runs through John's Gospel is Jesus' power and display and, and showing, demonstrating Jesus' power. And here, Jesus is demonstrating his power over creation. If you think back to um, John 1, that prologue, in the beginning was the word, that is like a, a, a kind of a pointer, a reference to Genesis. And in Genesis, we read that when God created humanity, he did so out of the dust of the ground, out of the dirt of the ground, he made uh, humanity. Is a, the poetic language that's used to describe how God creates mankind. And so it could be that Jesus, in taking this mud, in taking the earth and, and making it and, and molding it and putting it on the eyes, he's saying, you know, I'm creating the eyes there. I'm, I'm, a, I'm the creator God. I have lordship over creation. I'm the one who, who can, uh, can do this. Uh, and I think that's partly the reason why Jesus uses the mud. The other reason is because Jesus knows that um, this is going to cause a controversy. Jesus knows that this is going to be a big problem. Uh, why is making mud a big problem for Pharisees uh, or for Jews? It's because uh, the Sabbath day, which is uh, Saturday for Jews, the end of the week is on a Saturday. Um, the, the Sabbath day, God said, you must not work. And so the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders and scribes had said, what is work? And they thought, we want to be really careful here because we don't want to mess up. So we better define what work is. And uh, they came along and they said, well, uh, let's make a list of the things that we would say is working. And one of the things that is work um, is is kneading dough. I don't know if any of you guys have made bread before. Uh, I like to make pizza dough, and it's the same process. Um, But it's hard work when you make bread. Kneading for like 15 minutes uh, you work up a sweat. If you don't work up a sweat, apparently you're doing it wrong. Um, but I, So I save, when I make bread, I save it to Saturdays. Mm-hmm. And I, that's the day, because I know I've got the full day. I don't do it when I come home from work on a Friday, because I'm exhausted. I save it to Saturday, because it's hard work. So the Pharisees are gone, making bread, that's hard work. And you're like, what's this to do with mud? The same word in Hebrew for dough is the same word for mud. And actually, it's the same word for clay as well. That's, it's kind of like uh, uh, how in English, and I think in Swedish, you can have the same word just means different things. Also, I guess dough is quite similar looking to same consistency. And if you're making bricks out of mud, you're working it and you're kneading it and you're pasting it on the walls. They basically said all of these things, we lump them into the same category, it's working. So when Jesus picked up the mud, spat on it, everyone's like he's making he's doing the thing that we're not supposed to do on the sabbath jesus knows he's doing it he's causing controversy 
Josh talked about this last week when Jesus came and said, I'm, I'm the truth, you know, in me is truth. And the Pharisees, they were just indignant. They said, you've got a demon because Jesus says things that are exposing the heart of these guys who just can't listen. They just can't hear what he is saying. And it's again, it's, it's another one of those moments where Jesus is doing something to try and expose the hypocrisy and the, the, the failed traditions. Because the Sabbath was never about making a list of things not to do. It was about resting. It was about simply resting. And, and more importantly, it's about in resting, being healed. It's about taking time off from being busy to rest, to recuperate, and to heal. And nothing is more Sabbath-like than healing. So when Jesus does this miracle of healing, what he's showing them and what he's saying is, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the one who defines the rules. I set the rules for the Sabbath. And healing is my priority for Sabbath. It's not this, doesn't matter about making mud or making bread. That's not the point. The point is resting and, and healing, recuperation. It's worth saying for us as Christians, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the Sabbath that he fulfills it. We've talked before about how Jesus fulfills the law of Moses, that we no longer need to uh, do sacrifices because Jesus is the sacrifice. Well, we actually no longer need to obey Sabbath rules. There's plenty of Christian groups uh, and sects and cults that, that go, we need to follow a Sabbath. We need to not do anything on the Sabbath. We should not do anything on a Saturday. Um, and that's just not what the Bible teaches. Jesus is our Sabbath. If you are a Christian today, you rest in him. He is our ultimate rest. We no longer work in any way to please God because Jesus has pleased God. So we rest in Jesus. That's what the Sabbath meant. That's not in my notes. That's an aside. So Jesus has set into, no, into motion this conflict. Why? Because he wants to display the works of God in this beggar's life. So how does that happen? Well, it's through conversion, it's through the witness that this beggar has. You see at the beginning, his, uh, his physical eyes were opened and he could see. But what happens over the story is that his spiritual eyes open up and he sees more clearly who Jesus is. Take for example verse um, 11, the beggar's come back, he's washed his eyes, the mud's all gone, and he can see. And, uh, and all his neighbours, he was a beggar in a place, and all the people around that would have known him, because he's been begging his whole life, they're like, isn't that the guy? And he's like, yeah, it's me, it's me. And they're like, what happened? And he said, well, this man called Jesus healed me. Doesn't know anything other than this guy, this guy Jesus, this man Jesus. So it starts off, he's got a very little idea of who Jesus is. But then he's, he's brought before the Pharisees. He's hauled in in front of these, these uh, tribunal, this kind of grand court, this judge and jury system, intimidating group of powerful men. Uh, he's brought before them and told to say what happened. A simple guy, he faithfully says what happened to him. And they ask him in verse 17, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. It's a bit of an upgrade from a man. He went from being the man called Jesus to being a prophet. 
So now this guy's thinking, well, he must have, this Jesus guy must have some connection to God. He must speak for God in some way, uh, right, is what he's thinking. Um, What happens next is that the parents are brought in. The Pharisees don't believe that this guy was born, born, uh, born blind at all. So they get the parents in. And they ask the parents what happened. And uh, the parents are terrified. They say, yeah, okay, so he's our son. And, and yes, he was born blind. And, and now he appears to be able to see. But, you know, we don't know how it happened. Don't ask us. Uh, he's an adult. Ask him. He, he is of age. Ask him. And John goes on to tell us uh, the reason why they're so terrified is because uh, the Pharisees had already agreed that... If, you, if anyone was to say Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the sent one, Jesus is uh, the anointed Messiah who's going to come and, and bring peace and prosperity. If anyone says that, they're out. They're out of the synagogue. They're cast out. And um, that, that's like much more than what we would think of being kind of kicked out. Get out of here and don't come back. It meant you know, being removed from your cultural identity. You're no longer Jewish anymore. And you're born into being a Jew. But it's no, you're no longer you're stripped of it. You're not welcome here amongst us, amongst your people to worship in any way. You can't come and offer sacrifices uh, anymore. You can't come and eat with us on holidays anymore. It, it's total separation. So this is a heavy axe to hang over um, this, this beggar and his parents and so his parents um out of fear for this reality say ask him we don't know anything about this jesus fella ask him and so they do so knowing that he runs the risk of being excommunicated cast out removed from his own heritage as a jew uh, the guy goes on to talk about jesus in this way verse 32 Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. His, his boldness has come out of this guy. There's a boldness that started to, to well up. He's thinking about it. He's thinking, you know, I'm just a simple guy. I've been begging my whole life, but at least I know this. No one's healing blind people the way this guy healed blind people. No one has ever done this before. A man born blind, I've never seen, and today I, I got my sight. That's never happened before. Something special about him. He's not like Moses. He's not like Joseph. He's not like uh, Isaiah or any of these guys. No one's done this. Something different about Jesus. If he wasn't for God, he could do nothing. Uh, and so, of course... He gets cast out, instant. They're like, you were born in utter sin, get out of here. We should have expected it. Uh, But what happens to him then? What happens next? Jesus finds him. Jesus comes to him and says, "Uh, who do you think I am? And and the guy says, well, you know, Jesus, you you know, the guy says, "Uh, who, who is this one I should believe in? And Jesus says, it's me. I am the guy, I I am the Messiah. He says, Lord, I believe. And then it says, John says, he worshipped him. It's interesting, this word worship is used about six times in the Gospel of John and only ever refers to worshipping God. It doesn't mean like he bowed down on the floor and said, oh, wow, you're amazing. It means 
he worshipped him as God. That's how John meant it when he wrote this word. Uh, so we go from the man called Jesus to worshipping him as God. That's quite a journey. That's quite a, a change of heart. See, on this surface, this is a story about a blind guy who receives his sight, but it's really a picture about how Jesus saves people. It's really a picture about how Jesus saved us. If you're a believer here this morning, it's because Jesus opened your eyes. If you're a believer here this morning, it's because Jesus has caused you to see him for who he really is. We are, or we were, the blind beggar. And the light of Jesus has shone into our hearts, as it said in Corinthians, that Verity brought to us this morning. Uh, at the beginning of this chapter, Jesus uh, reframed, he kind of changed the, the question that we would ask about suffering in this man's life, saying it had nothing to do with causes, but was about purpose. And that purpose was to display the works of God, healing first, but more than that, opened his eyes to spiritual light. At the same time, the Pharisees got blinder and blinder and blinder. Faced with the reality of a healing you can't explain, they reject it completely. Over the course of this chapter, Jesus' worth and glory are revealed to this man in such a way that at the end he worships Jesus. He faced all the obstacles but humbly said, I was once blind but now I see. Our lives also display the glory of God, also display the works of God. We, uh, we can say uh, with this beggar, I was blind but now I see. We don't need clever arguments. The truth of the fact is, if you believe in Jesus, if you've met with God in any way, then he has opened your eyes to see who he really is. And we can uh, go through difficult times with the hope that we read before, that we know good things will come because God is working them, because he has a plan and a purpose for our lives. Uh, I love uh, these two verses. Uh, what Paul says here in uh, Philippians 1, uh, he says, uh, it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed. He was in prison when he wrote this. Uh, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or death. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. The boldness of our faith, our witness to our friends, to our family, to our co-workers, to the world around us, is that when we go through difficult times, God is our hope. God has a purpose. I trust in him. The psalmist says, your steadfast love is better than life. That's very powerful, bold uh, words. But today, that's our hope, our trust. It's true that God's steadfast love is better than life. Um, we need to maybe tell ourselves that, preach it to ourselves this morning. Next week, we do have this guest service. We have Joe coming in to... Um, to speak, preach the gospel, to speak it in a real plain and simple way so it can be understood uh, by anyone. Uh, so can I encourage us this week to step out in faith, to step out in boldness? We, we can be assured that God is working all things to his purpose. We can trust that God is doing something. And 
the final thing to say, this guy, this beggar, this blind beggar, uh, was just sat there with his bowl and his complete blind eyes. Jesus went to him. Jesus took the initiative. Jesus took the first step. We, we have that light that Jesus shone in our hearts now. So with the boldness and the courage that Jesus gives us, we can take initiative. We can take the first step. And our trust, our faith, our hope is God will display his works when we do. Um, let me pray for us. Lord God, we, we love you for who you are and for what you've done. But Lord, we thank you that you are a God that continually seeks after our good. Lord, the psalmist says that you pursue us, that surely goodness, mercy and love will follow me, will pursue me, will chase after me all the days of my life. That is because you work out your purposes for us with good intention. Lord, we pray, would you give us boldness that this beggar had to stand up in the face of losing everything? Because somehow, as you opened his eyes, he knew that knowing you, Jesus, is the greatest thing. And he was willing to proclaim it. Lord, we believe in you and we worship you this morning. I pray, would you give us boldness? In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Um, the end? <laughs> That's it? Yeah. Yeah, just, um, thanks, Al. That's great. Um, just a reminder about next week. Um,